iyo spot waqti dheer ayaan sugaynay waqtigan ka soo horeeyo waqtigii hore ee u dhawaa saqda dhexe marka waxaan rajaynaynaa inay taaliyadu arinta ka faa'iideysanayso mahadsanidiin iyo dagaysi wacan Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. In the studio is Zane and myself, Jacob. Hello, hello. Oh, okay. All right, all good. Um, now, so we have a pretty um, packed program. Um, probably listeners will probably um, probably heard the coverage on FreeCR, um, but Blockade IMARC, um, the blockade of the International Mining and Resources Conference, has has finally finished up yes, um, yesterday, and both me and Zane were um, played a large were big participants in the in the blockade. In fact, it was a pretty exuterating experience. Um, in fact, there's probably a lot to discuss and debrief over the experiences we had at the blockade. Um, but we probably won't have them, probably won't discuss them till later in the program because we actually got a pretty packed program. Um, we're going to have, um, we're going to go follow up with an interview with, um, Pablo, I think is his name, a Chilean, um, academic from RIT to talk about the uprising that's happening in Chile at the moment. Um, and then we have, um, Fatima from the Lebanese community to talk in Melbourne to talk about, um, the uprising that's happening in Lebanon. And I guess before, um, we start, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR is being broadcast to you from the wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders um, past and present, and that this always was, um, always will be, Aboriginal land. Yep. Yeah, I think Zane's a bit tired today. I am. Ah, man, it's, um, yeah, all this... Early morning, getting to blockades and then writing articles about the blockade and the police brutality and stuff. It's thrown my circadian rhythms a little bit out of whack. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a wee bit sleep deprived. <laughs> well, fortunately, I, I don't feel as sleep deprived. I had a good, um, good night of sleep. Now, I guess in terms of some <coughs> major news, I guess, Maybe we can start off talking a bit about um, the blockade um, for the next kind of seven minutes. Um, it, I, I thought it was it was a very successful event, um, you know, as environmental protests. We didn't necessarily have a massive amount of numbers, but we successfully managed to essentially disrupt business as usual. Because if you think about it, 
every year, I mean, to give credit to LASNET, who have organised previous block um, protests against um, the International Mining Resources Conference, mm. the reality is this conference usually goes on every year. No one really knows about it. Mm. No one really knows that all um, the likes of BHP, Rio Tinto, uh, Ocean Go Old for all their crimes, uh, you know, meeting. Um, they, they, no one really knows that they there's a section of capitalists who are kind of meeting to discuss how can they extract resources from the earth um, and make the most profit of it. And to make that profit, it usually is off the backs of workers. It's off the backs of dispossessing um, Indigenous people from their land. Mm. Um, it's off the back of actually full throttle environmental destruction, especially, you know, the killing of water supplies um, and the... And, and repressing protests and also colluding with, you know, dictatorships and anti-democratic governments to, you know, basically implement these, um, implement and build these mines. So I think, you know, the fact is we disrupted business as usual and I think we should all be kind of proud of the fact and we raise the kind of consciousness around all these kind of, of these corporate scumbags. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think it was um, a pretty... A pretty solid protest and a and a good team building exercise for you, for the left. Like you say, Lasnet were involved, people from Friends of the Earth, people from different socialist groups, different anarchists and, and a diverse range of, of different groups. There was Aboriginal activists came along, West Papuan activists, uh people from the Eritrean community, um Chilean people who who came with Lasnet. So a really kind of diverse cross section of, of different progressive and left-wing activists from across Melbourne all coming together all all working quite collaboratively on a on a pretty um I don't know a pretty like robust type of of it, it was a picket you know? it takes a fair bit of coordination so it was really good to see that that and and I think it was a real team building exercise and that some of those links and have really been strengthened coming out of the blockade and it, and it lays a foundation for further kind of, yeah, robust and militant protest actions going forward. And um, I also got the opportunity to go on Sky News and face off against Andrew Bolton. <laughs> yeah, and and against those other two Sky News panelists. Oh, well, I don't really know the names of them, but yeah. I get, I get, I mean, the, the mean the the funniest part about that Sky News interview was um, the fact that they are because one of the obsessions of the mainstream media was this obsession about what are the alternatives to mining i think this could be a bit of a subject we should talk a bit we'll talk a bit more about why we blockaded the conference towards um later in the program but they asked a question about you know what well, what is the alternative to mining um and i raised you know the questions around public ownership around investing in alternative sources of energy and then they're basically like i don't know what that is <laughs> Yeah, they were pretty dense, all in all, and I think you really ran rings around them, to be honest. I thought it was a solid interview. And then that's that bit where Andrew Bolt goes, the majority of media contacts on your media list from Blockade or Amark are Marxists. And you're just like, so? What's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was... Um, pretty full-on week and some serious police brutality and we'll definitely be writing more about that or talking more about that um today 
But, uh, yeah, that was my big take-home message was people refuse to be intimidated by the extreme brutality of the police and the the thing just galvanised all of us protesters that were there to continue pushing on and, uh, yeah, the... Uh, we we won't be uh, retreating or going away anytime soon. There'll be more climate and environmental and, and indigenous rights protests in this city in coming uh, months and years. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Hmm. All right, we'll play a few quick announcements and get on to our first interview for the program. Three CR. Always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Matthew Fagan Band and Friends presents Earth Show, a rock and classical journey across our living planet. It's a music and visual spectacular celebrating the one planet that we inhabit. Saturday the 9th of November at the Deacon Edge Federation Square. Concert starts at 8pm and an environment symposium, Our Shared Home, is on from 5pm. There's a 40% discount for 3CR subscribers, making your all-inclusive tickets just $33 for adults, $30 concession and $24 for students. Plus booking fee and don't forget to book in with the 3CR subscriber code 3CR20. Go to www.matthew-fagan.com. A 3CR supporter. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices, Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. Alrighty, welcome back. You are listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and on the line we have uh, Pablo Leighton, who was with us last week, uh, to talk a bit more and go into a bit more depth about the massive protests that are sweeping Chile at the moment. Uh, welcome back, Pablo. Thank you. Thank you <clears throat> for having me back. Uh, I don't know if you know that um, the Chilean community in Australia is the largest uh, Spanish-speaking community in, in this country. <clears throat> yeah right. I was yeah, aware that 40, 000, not that much forty thousand people, but um, uh, well, it has been like that since you know dictatorship times. 
<clears throat> yeah. And do, do you think, did the majority of those people come across in that initial kind of wave trying to trying to get away from uh, Pinochet? Or like, obviously some of those people have now got families. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's a good question because um, I, didn't, uh, I, I published some research ab about it because... <clears throat> Uh, well, it's a long story, but uh, the coup came in 1973, and if you talk to all Chileans, meaning from that era, um, um, many people came before 1973. <clears throat> uh, they came uh, during uh, the Salvador, uh, Salvador Allende's government, you know, the socialist government, and um, it seems it seems that there was some kind of promotion uh, of migration uh, at the Australian embassy in Santiago to um, of uh, for people to to leave the country some people even talk about uh, uh, brain drain you know brain drain when <clears throat> they promote the professionals or highly skilled people to leave a country that happened in Cuba for example so um, <clears throat> there was a lot of migration before the coup game and uh, was mostly economic, but uh, so is the, the community, uh, I don't know, social media and a demonstration that happened here in Sydney, most of them are supporting the, the uprising in Chile, but um, there are many students that, um, um, I have to say, from, like myself, that come, I came as a student, that also belong to an elite in Chile, and uh, they, um, I don't know if they have been so vocal supporting the uprising, but um, like any community, of course, there's all kind of political lines and, and thoughts. But um, mm. uh, so people ask, do you come here before 73 or, or, or after? And sometimes you can tell the politics of the people with that. Mm. Now, so last week we, we kind of had a bit of an introduction into these massive protests that have been sweeping Chile, uh, and then our interview was cut short, but you were starting to get down to a bit more depth about the political significance of these protests, both in terms of how Chile was this mm, lab experiment in neoliberalism, which, yeah. which the region has been uh, kind of following Chile ever since sort of 1975, in a sense. And yep. also, I guess, in terms of these are these are huge protests and people are really kind of emboldened and pushing back. So it's like neoliberalism has in, arrived at a very serious dead end and this has consequences for the whole region. And it would be good if you could uh, expand on those uh, ideas a bit for us. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, yes, yeah. Um well, um, <clears throat> uh, neoliberalism uh, officially started in Chile in April 1975, but some people could argue that it started with the coup in September 1973. <clears throat> but during those uh, two years, year and a half, uh, you know, dictator Augusto Pinochet uh, was doubtful himself about uh, to... Uh, for example, to privatize uh, named uh, state resources, to liberalize prices, uh, leave everything to the market. And um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, Pinochet himself was was cynical about this. You're saying? 
Well, Pinochet, uh, uh, the tradition of the military until today, uh, uh, of uh, all Latin American military, they have been trained to be really nationalistic, and mm. and uh, and Pinochet uh, was, yeah, was uh, had some hesitation of. Uh, even he, he was very pro-American, pro-U.S. Of, of kind of selling out the country completely to the U.S. And uh, so, <clears throat> but then uh, that visit in March 1975 by Milton Friedman and Frederick von Hayek that they uh, met with him. Well, nobody knows exactly what they talked. Uh, it was not film, or there is no transcript of it. But basically. Then he, uh, the minister of economy, of course, uh, 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 started to apply this uh, shock therapy, this very, you know, aggressive privatization and economic uh, neoliberal system. And <clears throat> but I think the key issue that uh, you know every time people mention Chile, it's about Pinochet and the dictatorship that. The democratic governments or post-dictatorial governments that came in 1990, that uh, many of them were centralist, most of them actually, 20 years of centralist, then came Piñera, Bachelet, and then Piñera again right now. So, yeah, over 24 years of centralist administration that deepened the neoliberal model. Hmm. And... Um, uh, so that's what uh, most uh, Latin American countries from Macri uh, started with the kind of most famous intellectual of neoliberalism, that is uh, the writer Mario Vargas Llosa, the Peruvian writer. Nobel Literature Prize a few weeks ago was also saying everyone in Latin America should follow Chile. So the, the democratic government... Um, um, I think the most accurate word is post-dictatorial, huh? because with that constitution, it's difficult to talk about a full democracy. And um, <clears throat> they uh, they deepened the, the economic system and the depolitization of the people, the total disbelief in the parties, and um, the fact that the movement now is very spontaneous and there is no leader, Still, it's a little, a little worrying in terms that um, uh, no left party, no left movement can uh, capitalize or get something uh, out of it in terms of, uh, you know, uh, um, voting a future left president. Let, you know, let's put it that way. So that I think is a consequence also of neoliberalism. That. Pinochet himself the, and, the, and the economic system. You know, you are a consumer now, not a citizen. That's, you know, that's what matters. And that uh, created a crisis of representation. That's, it, there is a total disbelief in, among the people uh, in the representative, on the representative uh, democracy. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that in that way, similar to finish on, on to the 2001 Argentinian crisis, when there was a famous uh, uh, demonstration, people, everyone chanting, everyone should go away, que se vayan todos. So they, there have been some kind of chanting, but um, that doesn't make it less 
popular the movement or less uh, political i don't know with a small p i don't know with uh, people are very politicized in a way uh so in that way neoliberalism failed but um in the future i don't know that that's the point the question is about the future i don't know what will happen hmm. uh now there's a bit to unpack there it would be good i guess initially to um are you able to comment a little bit more about the composition of these protests you've said they're very spontaneous um yeah. so what what involvement or penetration do existing left-wing parties or organizations in chile have in these protests yeah 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 uh, having said what i said about you know being a spontaneous no leader i mentioned i think last week that <clears throat> there is uh, a lot of civil society organizations um um not leading but uh uh being visible being visible with the mo- within the movement um for example this the what's been called now the largest demonstration in Chile's history that happened last week on Friday between 1.2 and 1.5 million people uh this the place and the time was set by <clears throat> this organization called Unidad Social I don't know if they have even a website, but they have a Twitter account. Uh, but they do conferences, they, they press conferences, they they uh, they get some you know media presence. But the this Unidad Social, there is a lot of unions there. Um, the teachers' unions is very very active. Uh, there is this movement that is one of the most famous movement within the left or or, or the present that is the No Mas AFP. Basically, no more superannuation movement. Basically, uh, the privatization, uh, you know, the privatization of against the privatization of the pensions. Yeah. Okay. And um, um, it's a very it's a serious uh, uh, organization, a long list of uh, small groups. Uh, none of them align with any party, <clears throat> and um, and uh, and very, to put it very bluntly and and short. Uh, the Frente Amplio, the broad front that um, there is the left that replaced the traditional left that went neoliberal uh, after Pinochet, the Socialist Party, for example, the Party of Allende that is completely, that are completely sold out to neoliberalism. It's an absolutely unrecognizable party. Hmm. Uh, the broad front, um, they have like around 20% of the votes and people in Congress. If they go out in demonstrations, I I see they don't get boo. Uh, the people don't reject them, but people are mostly indifferent to them. If they say something, you know, let's do, let's follow this path, people say, oh, well, you're late or you're part of the system, and uh, and that that's a little bit concerning uh, again for the how how all this going to end but uh but it, it is what it is in a way that um they after the 2011 movement the student one <clears throat> uh, when these broad front people led the, the uh, that student uprising um they joined congress they joined elections and they sort of they sort of abandoned the being a, a social movement, being on the streets, etc. Um, 
So, um, yeah, that, that's what is happening with the left in Chile. Yeah, right. I think you just answered the question I was going to answer. <laughs> I was going to ask. Well, <clears throat> I guess, Pablo, do you think, like, it seems like there's a pretty huge uh, political vacuum which could potentially see the creation of a new left party, but there's no guarantee mm. that will, will happen. Is there any is there any signs of a of some sort of new? Uh, parliamentary party being formed out of this to try and I don't know, channel yeah, yeah. some of this? Yeah. But, okay. First of all, yeah, there's social uprising, <clears throat> uh, well, left and right in Latin America, uh, you know, the, both terms and alignments have changed a lot and uh, people don't, <laughs> the street don't use them anymore. But what people are saying <clears throat> very openly in the street, Sorry, um, it is a, a social change that is about nationalizing, renationalizing the economy. So it, it certainly can be called left, huh? mm. but I think something the most uh, um, uh, meaningful or, or practical uh, outcome of all this in terms of left and right politics is going to come from the uh, the new constitutional assembly and constitution that people is the first demand, that is to get rid of Pinochet's constitution, set in 1980 through a fraudulent election, that it has been reformed through the decades. Uh, the constitution um, <clears throat> has, um, well, maybe I'll talk later about the constitution, but basically they're asking for a nas- uh, new constitutional assembly that is usually... Um, <clears throat> It happened in Bolivia, in Venezuela, uh, many of these countries, of, you know, that went left during the 2000s. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, they call for elections and they choose around, you know, between 300 and 500 people. That, uh, so that's a form of politics. There is a right and left there. And, uh, but it's a, it's a very productive kind of politics because it's, it's people that write the constitution, a new constitution, they are there for only two, three years. They write the new laws, uh, you know, the new law, uh, the new law of the country, and uh, then they go home. So they don't stay forever as politicians. And so that's, um, that might, well, yeah, there is a chance of this uh, uh, plebiscite first to call for a new constitution and then elections for to form this assembly and um, might happen between one and well this this is what the people want to happen the plebiscite in, two, in 2020 and and then a new constitution two three years after that <clears throat> and the current uh, government in chile when are, when are the next elections scheduled oh uh let me think it was uh <laughs> I think people don't care that, about that anymore, but I think <laughs> 20, 2022, and, and there is a sort of impeachment process that got started. I don't know if it's going to go so far, because Congress, the, 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 the binominal system, the kind of this uh, artificial bipartisan system that Pinochet created, that, and then the democracy went 25 years like that, creating this, uh, the right always got one third of the vote, and 
we see half of the representatives in Congress for 25 years was, uh, you know, just very artificial system and manipulated. And <clears throat> the last election, they went a little bit proportional. That's how this new left got 20%. It still is very complex, but the 50% of abstention in the last election, I think, is very telling. And this is the 50, at least 54, 55% of the people that are now out on the street that uh, has been like that forever. 50% of abstention was normal in Chile for, for many years, more than Venezuela in the last election. And, and uh, that was, you know, the model of democracy that Chile was selling when half, more than half of the people were not voting. Uh, so that it might happen again next election if there are no changes, you know, more than half of the people not voting. And so officially the next elections are not till 22. Do you think it's yeah, going to take that so. longer, or do you think the government can be brought down sooner than <clears> that by <throat> these okay. well, uh, protests? Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, last Friday, October 8th, the 18th, nobody knew that so much was going to happen in one week, within one week. Mm. Um now people are saying it's inconceivable for for this impeachment process that I told you about to go. Uh, well, it's going ahead. They need only 15 signatures between MPs to 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 start the process. But um, they, um, I don't know, a lot can happen. Uh, um, but officially, the numbers are not there. You know, the the, oppos- the central left opposition, this kind of neoliberal left, and the right have the majority of votes there, um, something huge would have to happen. Huh? So um, <clears throat> it would be very difficult to depose. Uh, there's some signs, you know, that uh, uh, Piñera, the president himself, is, uh, his government is looking unstable. He just canceled the APEC meeting hmm. and the COP25 meeting where Greta Thunberg Tumberi, I think, people, how people say. Um, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, they were both cancelled, which is a huge, huge blow against this model image of neoliberal Chile uh, being open to the world, world champions of free trade agreements. And Piñera, I've been reading, I think he did it. He, he kept saying, this is happening, this is happening. We cannot cancel this. You know, we're going to look bad. He had to do it. And, and that's, uh, you know, all the hotels, website, of course, uh, all the infrastructure was being built there. Trump and uh, Xi Jinping, the, you know, the Chinese leader was going to, all they were going to go and and uh, they had to cancel because it's like uh, Chile is officially a third world country now back, you know, in, in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I think uh, there probably would have been some pretty big protests at those summits if they had gone ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So another thing you were talking about last week was the elections happening in Argentina and I can't remember, was it Uruguay or Paraguay? Yeah. Um, Have they happened yet, those elections, and what was the result? Yeah, yeah, well... My crystal ball uh, <laughs> fell a little bit in, <laughs> in the Uruguay case. In the yeah. Argentinian case, it was, uh, yeah, 
they use the Chilean <clears throat> case as a as a as a, until the last day of the campaign to say you know we cannot go that way. Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner uh, used her her uh, last speech before the election. A lot of it was about Chile, so they won easily, 48 percent. If you add the the two percent of the of the more socialist communist left, they reach 50, 51 percent. So uh, that was, um, uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. And and the right wing candidates stop mentioning Chile, as I said. In Uruguay, I think they show something particular, and um, that's also my effect Chile in a way that um, in Uruguay, the left, there's a second round uh, in November, the left, the broad front there, that is a center-left, but it's more and more meaningful center-left than the Chilean left. So, you know, wide alliances of parties, former Tupamaros, uh, you know, the guerrilla boom in the 70s are there, and they reach 39%, and the right, they were the right went with three candidates, and overall their percentages they add more than fifty percent. So that's kind of worrying. Well, nobody knows exactly what will happen in November. But what was surprising is that a very far right Bolsonaro type of candidate got ten percent. That was what surprised everyone, uh, and that's and he. He hasn't supported, he's so to the right that he hasn't supported yet the official right candidate. And um, in Chile, there's also a far right candidate that got 7, 8% in the last election. And what I'm trying to say that that goes beyond neoliberalism. Huh? And the, even the, the Bolsonaro, the voters, and these voters in Uruguay, and these voters in Chile, um, many of them are working or middle class. There these leftovers of neoliberalism that they join a movement that can blame the inequality, you know, on the foreigners, on the migrants, on the, you know, the the, the gay people in Bolsonaro is a big thing for him. So that's um, uh, it's something that is growing under neoliberalism everywhere, but in, in Latin America too. That's uh, there is this far right movement that are kind of showing up from nowhere, and um, in Uruguay, uh, the, to finish the right wing candidate, uh, it's, they don't know if they will ask for the these far right uh, candidates' votes, if uh, because uh, you know it is uh, very extreme, and and the and the left wing, the broad front in Uruguay. They don't know if they will. Um, well, they, they sorry. They, they will prevent. They will try to win the second round, saying the right wing is gonna go extreme with this, you know, uh, support. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> and when is that second round? Uh, I think it's November. At the end, by the end of November, it's uh, that. Um, uh, well, you know, the Uruguay is another story. It's not my, my uh, expertise in that, that. It's a small country, but it's, uh, when trying to, uh, the other factor is that the broad front has been in power in Uruguay for 15 years. And some might argue on the left that they, uh, it has not been neoliberal, like in Chile, but it has been as 
social democratic government that has not, uh, um, you know, uh, been a, uh, a full left or that has uh, has been moderate left. And um, but there is a whole paranoia. To summarize, there's a whole paranoia in Uruguay right now against crime. It's supposed to be a crime wave and. And that's how the far right candidate got a lot of votes because, you know, they're saying this, uh, there's more, and there might be a perception, you know, people perceive crime and then they think there is more crime. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tried and trusted tactic that, that right wing yeah. political parties will often use. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we should probably start wrapping it up. Um, just yeah. any closing comments or, or anything that we've missed or. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I always, uh, uh, well, I live in Australia, you know, around 40,000 Chileans in Australia, most of them are Chilean Australians. And, um, <clears throat> one thing that, um, two things that, uh, or two or three things can have a, an impact or we should think about the Chilean case being in Australia is that number one, uh, um, I might say, this in the prior interview, but I don't remember actually that the largest copper mine, yeah, I said the largest copper mine in the world belongs to Australian BHP that is in the north of Chile. It has been a little quiet, that topic, actually, that is basically, but in the last uprising in 2011, Camila Vallejo, the leader of the Communist Party, she asked for a to renationalize all copper mines, including Australian BHP. Mm. And Australian BHP, you know, that's copper, the largest copper mine in the world. It's it's not the only thing they do, but that would be a, a big blow. And it might happen. Huh? It might happen. I think it's not, you know, fantasy or fiction to say even if uh, the movement goes on, uh, besides a new constitution, people are going to demand to renationalize, re uh, uh, you know, the salary of Chile, uh, the main resource of Chile. And that's going to have an impact here, I think. Um, <clears throat> secondly, the free trade agreements. You know, uh, there was a big demand. You could see the graffiti, the, and people are very aware and very informed, much more than here, about the TPP-11, mm. the Trans-Pacific Partnership that, you know, even Trump uh, left because uh, uh, it, it's uh, absolutely this new, uh, a brave new, wo <clears throat> new world with the... Uh, um, it's the the largest free trade agreement uh, in history with you know all these millions of consumers in this area of the Pacific, and uh, that's gonna might be next after the copper mines that, or even before actually maybe uh, to withdraw Chile withdraw from that, and um, and naturally with labor here Australia will stay but it's one by one countries start leaving might have an impact mm. and um and finally um well that's the most difficult one that but time magazine bloomberg uh, the economist all these you know magazines and publications that are for neoliberalism they're all have written published articles warning that if it happened in chile it can happen anywhere i'm quoting the bloomberg actually article they're saying that uh it now it's not only you know the waves of rebellions that journalists are trying to you know put all of them together bolivia chile and whatever um hong kong and, but it's basically they're saying that 
this is a sign, Time Magazine actually also wrote this, this is a sign, it can happen anywhere, uh, it can go well, it can go in the, as I said also last time, in the kind of fascist, uh, the people left, left behind by neoliberalism can go fascist, many of them, but also can really uh, bring back politics in terms of the inequality that is so evident. So that might have an impact in the Australian left, Greens Party, Socialist Alliance, unions, etc. Mm. In terms of repopularizing the idea of yeah, putting stuff back into public ownership. Yeah, like you say, that's, yeah. that's of huge symbolic yeah. importance given that yeah. Chile was this test lab for neoliberalism if it starts if if that's one of the first places where we start seeing this big pushback of renationalizations. Yeah, well, and the discontent is there basically. It, it's, it's, it came unexpectedly, but what basically was all the time there the discontent among the people that people cannot take any more the pain for everything. You know, healthcare, Medicare is you know you can need private health insurance here. At some point, people might stop paying, spend, or getting fed up with the pain for everything. That's exactly what happened in Chile. Hmm. Mm. Exciting stuff and um, <laughs> pregnant with uh, possibilities. All right. Yeah. Um, thanks heaps for uh, yeah speaking with us again and going into a bit more depth, Pablo. It's been um, okay. Yeah, really good having you on. Okay, great to that you have this space. So um, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you at uh, solidarity protests in uh, okay. in the streets. There's actually one. I'll just make a quick announcement. Okay. There's going to be a solidarity protest organised by the Chilean community this Sunday at one twelve p.m. at the State Library we in can... Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I presume okay. people uh, who are listening mainly are going to be based <laughs> in Melbourne. <laughs> okay. Word. Okay. All right. yeah, okay. Thank you. Thanks Thank again, you for... Pablo. Okay. Bye bye. So, uh, yes, uh, Pablo Leighton there, um, a Chilean uh, expert activist uh, and um, academic living in, and teaching in Australia. Uh, all right, we'll just play some quick announcements and then we've got another interview coming up pretty soon with uh, Fatima talking about what's going down in another part of the world, Lebanon. Some big protests there as well. Accent of women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent of women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent of women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Okay, so this is Sheba. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. 
Hi, Kerry Lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I always represent... There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and, of course, free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. Good morning, everyone. Um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 7:45 a.m. and we have Fatima. Um, he was a very active member from of the Lebanese community in Melbourne, um, and we have her on the line um, today to talk about um, the big, massive outrising. Um, that's um, that's basically well, Lebanon has basically been the subject of countrywide protests um, for the past two weeks. Um, so, good morning, Fatima. Good morning, Jane. Yeah. So, Fatima, um, I guess to start off, what can you tell us about these massive kind of protests that are kind of happening in Lebanon at the moment? Well, this is a very historic um, thing that's happening in Lebanon, where people from all different religious affiliations have hit the streets. Um, just demanding um, better living standards and then wanting a changing regime because they've just had enough of all our, our corrupt governments. Yeah, and what have what has been the kind of root of the um, of the kind of crisis? Because I'm one of the things I've heard has been it's you know there's um, been kind of like the media has kind of portrayed it as being a, re- a response to attacks on WhatsApp. Um, well, to say it's a response on for a WhatsApp tax, it's pretty much probably um, really minimising the impact of the process. Um, this has been since the, this government has come into power. That's just been imposing tax after tax on people. Living standards have gone quite low. There's probably about 25% of the population is below poverty line. It's, you know, WhatsApp tax was one of the proposed taxes which enraged people but it's basically it's pretty much it's a long way of um tax you know increasing taxes corrupt government you know just you know basic living standards are not you know available for people that's just pretty much what just people have just had enough and they said look we're just going to hit the streets it was something that was not planned it just people like pretty much have just had enough and so would you say um, uh, some of these protests have been quite spontaneous? How, um, how, what are the kind of crowds that they've kind of been drawing and has like some of your family over, overseas been, um, been part of them? Yeah, this, what makes this spontaneous very special are be, you know, the, because they were very spontaneous, these protests, they weren't planned. It's just people have hit the streets from all sorts of people, different religions, different age groups, um, different occupations. Um, Even, like, a lot of the people who are actually protesting are somehow politically affiliated, but they've just... um, They've put all their political affiliations on the side, their religious affiliations, and they've hit the streets. So all sorts of people in Lebanon have hit the streets, from young ones to adults to older ones to university students, doctors, lawyers, um, yeah. Yeah, and in response to these protests, um, what has kind of been the response of the state, especially in terms of police repression and so on? 
Um, the police have actually always been on the side of the protest, protecting the protest from, and you know, like keeping their safety. Because um, in, within the first, I would say, few days, there were no issues whatsoever, and then that led to also the government resigning, the prime minister, whereas people are demanding a whole raging change, and they want the, in, they want to change the, um, the speaker of the house and also the president. But at this stage, it's the government who resigned. They've put they've put forward some reforms, but people want a lot more. They don't just want reforms because they actually want government accountability and a fairer judicial system, and also an early election. That's fair. That's sort of not only would only put certain people back in government. Well, I think it's. Uh, I mean, from the perspective of um, someone in Australia, that I think it's quite incredible that. Uh, a massive protest has essentially brought a government down. I guess mm-hmm. what what are kind of I guess what can you tell us about some of the demands of of this politic of the political movement that's sweeping Lebanon right now? So with the demands, first it just started off with wanting just tax reforms and better living standards. But as people hit the streets, it you know it led to completely wanting to change the re- the regime and bringing down the entire system, just like what happened in you know, Tunisia, Sudan and a few other countries. And they want a system that's based on, you know, not based, not a religious system because since the civil war in 1975, Lebanon has been divided um, religiously and and the government has been ruled by religious governance. And people in power have used that pretty much to keep, to divide people and keep people, um, you know, separated using the sectarianism as like, um, a way that if we don't divide Lebanon this way, then Lebanon will be under threat and Lebanon security would be under threat. And then people of different um, sects and religions would be under threat because there are minorities and majorities of different sects in Lebanon. But these mass protests have shown people that the Lebanese people, they just want Lebanese unity. They just rejected this whole sectarianism and religious um, affiliation. So it's all about having a fairer election, a better government, more government accountability and transparency, better judicial system, and better living standards. Yep, thank. Um, Fatima, I'd be interested because the um, there's been this project happening in in Rojava in this sort of Kurdish part of northern Syria, and mm-hmm. it's a secular. Uh, kind of progressive grassroots political project which mm. has parallels because it brings together people from different um, religious or uh, political backgrounds and kind of says, you know, the main thing is for us to look after each other as a community. Do you feel like that... Has, is that something that's had much influence on politics in, in Lebanon? or? Um, I wouldn't say the movement there had has had an influence, but the Lebanese people are moving towards a secular society where everyone, you know, your religion is your own religion, but um, national unity is the most important. But what is happening on the borders of Syria, I don't think would have had much influence. Hmm. And what, uh, just for listeners who uh, maybe don't follow Lebanese politics so closely, what are some of the main... Uh, religious groupings in in Lebanon. So it's mainly um, Muslims and Christians, and then um, within Islam you've got different sects. Within Christianity you've got different sects, and then also there is another um, faith that's derived from Islam, which is called the Druze. 
and pretty much there's, I would say, there's about 18 different sects in Lebanon within these three religious groups. Mm. So it's one of the most um, religiously diverse countries in the world. Mm. However, at this with these protests, it's proven that, yeah, we can have our own religion and still, you know, be united as one, and we don't need our religion to actually divide us. And what can you, um, I guess, one of the things you kind of brought up is how these protests are kind of bringing together people of all sorts of different um, religions and um, breaking away kind of that kind of sectarianism that's possibly existed prior. I guess in terms of the protests, one of the things um, that always happens during these kind of um, mass protest movements is there's always new forms of kind of democratically deciding things in the movement sort of pop up, like new types of structures. Has, has there been any kind of evidence of that kind of happening in Lebanon in terms of the protests, in terms of how they, how people are kind of organising themselves? Um, with, this, cause with these protests, they didn't have any leadership. They just hit the streets spontaneously. But people have been discussing amongst themselves, you know, what sort of reforms they want. And then eventually they've actually put for the government, they put forward reforms that they want. And what they actually want, they want people, specialised people in the government. So at this stage, they don't have actual leaders because it's still a spontaneous movement. And they've pretty much said to the government, once you resign, then we will put forward people that we think um, are good to be in in your position. And um, I guess... um the last kind of one of sort of the last kind of question is, I guess, what is the I guess you said that um, the government has, I guess, can you can you re summarise, I guess, what has been kind of the most recent developments, and I guess where um, where you think things are kind of go from here. <clears throat> um, so at this stage, I said the government has resigned, and people are still demanding for a change of president and for a change in the um, in parliament. This would have, like, the way is things would happen is that they'll have an interim government and people are asking for an interim government of specialised people, not politicians, of specialised people that would actually put in a new election law that would be fair and would bring in the people in government not based on their religion and their, um, and how, like, and how strong their, strongly their presence is in the country, but more people who should be in these positions. And from there, you can actually elect a new government and a new president. So now we should have an interim government. An interim government will have a new parliament. The new parliament will elect a new cabinet and then the new cabinet will have a new president. It's a tedious process, but this is how the political system works in Lebanon. But at this stage, um, they're still, like, we're still at a government, just at a resigned government. And there's, like, there's no, there's still negotiations between the people on the street and the government, but there's, at this stage, there are no actual solutions yet. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Fanua. Do you have any... Unless Zane had a last question. Well, I'm, I'm just curious, because one of the things I've also heard, which is, like, not the politically most important thing about the protest or whatever, but I've heard they're very musical. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of music. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's just... This is the way we are as Lebanese. We just do things in a very unique way. Um, so, you know, people hit the street, they've got, you know, we've got DJs, we've got music, we like to have fun, so we just try to put fun into everything, and we've also done some demonstrations in Melbourne and Sydney as well, and they've also turned musical, because this is our nature, 
And people have called us the happiest depressed people um, because this is just how we like. We like life. We like to have a good time, and we'll just put a good time in anything we're doing. That's cool. I think that's a really good contribution from the Lebanese protest movement to to what else is happening around the world at the moment. Yeah, like for us, this is like for every Lebanese person, this is a historic moment Mm. because we are no longer hinged on, you know, religions and we're not relying on our religions to divide us. We're just being Lebanese. We're just out there, Lebanese, wanting a better Lebanon. Mm. I guess any final comments and do you, are there any upcoming solidarity protests for Lebanon in Australia or even at least in Melbourne? Yes, so we do have um, a solidarity protest happening on Ligon Street this Sunday from 4pm to 7pm. It's at Argyle Square. So, you know, where everyone is welcome to join us. It's going to be full of music and then it's pretty much just how the Lebanese do it. Oh yeah, that's a choice. Yeah. All right, so for, um, yeah, we'll, we'll re-advertise that again because we do, later in our program, we do an activist calendar where we just talk about all the upcoming protests. So, yeah, thank you very much, Fanima. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right. Yes, uh, Fatima there, uh, Lebanese community activist here in Melbourne, uh, just reporting on these like massive political developments, really historic stuff that's, that's happening in Lebanon. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like we're, we're in kind of like a, a moment of um, gl- gl- revolt in um, the global south because, for example, you've had we've had the massive protests. I think last year we had the massive protests in Sudan, um, Algeria, and now this year we're seeing massive protests in Chile. We saw protest massive protests in Ecuador, which has sort of gone into a bit of a standstill because they actually won some of the demands. Um, and then we are seeing um, then oh, I think there was. Yeah, well, and then Lebanon, obviously, that's yeah. the one we're just talking about. So Hong we're Kong. and there, oh, Hong Kong, Iraq. There's just a, a period of kind of global revolt, and of course, Spain and Catalonia. Um, there's this massive protest kind of happening everywhere, and I think it's yeah, quite. I think we're kind of living, I guess, in quite exciting times, and especially one of the best chants at um, blockade I mark was um, there was a chant that sort of put. Um, this struggle in sort of, in sort of context in basically in solidarity with the, the Chilean kind of strikes. Hmm. But I forgot how the shant went. That's <laughs> 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 huh. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll go play a quick announcement and move on to the activist calendar. And then I guess we can, we'll have, go into, I guess, a full kind of debrief in around the blockade at the International Mining and Resources Conference. Yeah, for sure. All right. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Join me, Aya Kwai, with Ubuntu Voices. Winners there at 8.30pm on 3CR. 
Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free, one of us is chained, none of us are free. Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is now 8am and it's now time for the activist calendar. Um, so I'll... Oh yes, I'll pass it on to you once I get to Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so on Saturday, um, November, um, tomorrow, there will be a march and rally, Defend Rojava, um, Turkey Get Out of Syria. Um, that's organised by the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre of Victoria and Australians for Kurdistan, and that will be happening at 4pm at the State Library. On Sunday, um, there'll be a protest, um, There'll be protests in support and solidarity with Chile at 12 p.m. at the State Library. And then just as we heard on the program just before, there'll be a protest in solidarity with the Lebanese community, organised by the Lebanese community at 4 p.m. at um, on Ligon Street at the Al... Basically, that park area in Ligon, um, in, in Carlton, Al Goya Park. Al Goya Park, yeah. Al Goya Square. Al Goya Square, Yeah. <coughs> And then, yeah, I'll go, um, on Monday night, there'll be a Green Left Weekly kind of discussion circle on climate crisis and inequality at 6pm at level 5, 407 Swanson Street, um, at the Resistance Centre. And that's on November the 5th. Wait, not November the 5th. No, no, November the 4th. <laughs> so, if you, November the 4th, Monday, 6pm. Now, I'll pass it on to Zane for a Tuesday announcement. I mean, if you were keen to have a beer for Cup Eve, you can totally do that at that meeting at the Resistance Centre. Yeah. You don't feel like you, you need to counterpose having a couple beers with coming to a political discussion about climate change and, and uh, inequality and impact. Uh, so on Cup Day itself next Tuesday this year, if you think horse racing is a cruel sport beloved by the ultra-rich, then say NUP to the Cup. Visit horseracingkills.com forward slash NUP to Cup for all the NUP to Cup events happening. The billions spent on training racehorses for the industry could be better spent on the climate crisis, ending poverty, or a host of other worthy causes. Cruelty and greed go hand in hand in the sport of kings. And what's the details for the rally? Well, it's just saying go to the website horseracingkills.com forward slash nup to cup and there's various things i've heard of uh, uh, uh one event that's happened for a couple of years now called fashions at the field which is like a um uh, uh like a vegan fashion show to protest against the uh, melbourne cup which happens in the park opposite so yeah there's various events and, and protests happening i think check it out 
Yeah. Okay, so um, the next kind of events that are happening is um, Wednesday, November the 6th to Friday, November the 8th, there'll be a Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference, a powerful convergence of ideas, art and transnational solidarity, and they'll be happening in the Brown Room, um, University of Melbourne, um, Wilson Avenue at Building 193 in Parkville. On Saturday, on Friday, November the 8th, there's a... Whoa, 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 hang on. What? i just got to hold you up there yep. because uh, my band are playing at Cafe Gummo next Thursday night, November 7. Pretty sure that's a fundraiser either for Jock Pal Freeman to get him back to Australia or for the Bulgarian Prisoners Association. Um, but yes, Jock Pal Freeman, the uh, Australian who was arrested 12 years ago in Bulgaria for sticking up for some... Uh, Roma people who were being attacked by racist goons. Someone got stabbed in the ensuing um, struggle there, and, and yeah, Jock's been in jail for ages, just been let out. So it's pretty topical at the moment. And there's a Russian ska punk band called Horny Elks who are playing there as well. So yeah, Cafe Gummo, 711 High Street, Thornbury. Yep. Now to go on to um, November the 8th, there'll be a Speak Out, Defend the Right to, pro- to Protest Climate Justice Now, hosted by Uni Students for Climate Justice. So this is a snap kind of rally that's kind of been called, um, that's been called following um, the events at uh, Blockhead IMAX. So they'll be in November the 8th, um, Friday, 8 p.m. Uh, Friday, not Friday, 8 p.m., Friday the 8th of November at 5 p.m. at the Burke Street Mall. Um, on Saturday, um, November the 9th, there'll be a rally, Save Medivac, Save Refugee Lives, at 2pm at the State Library. Um, and then there'll be, on Sunday, November the 10th, there'll be a public forum, Rage Against the Machine, Feminism of Capital- and Capitalism, which is happening at 4.30pm at the Town Hall, and there's sort of info and bookings online. Then on Tuesday, November the 12th, um, there'll be a public meeting, um, Airplanes, the Environment and the Human Condition. Um, Hans Baer d- discusses his new book, and they'll be at 7pm at the New International Bookshop, Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carton South. And then November the 13th and Sunday the 24th, there'll be the theatre, um, the audition, a new multi-authored work that interrogates the protocols and the power relationships of the audition process to uncover what it means to seek asylum and that'll be the La Mama Courthouse at 349 Drummond Street in Carton and on Thursday November the 14th um, there'll be a public um, there'll be forum Penn International Day of the Imprisoned Writer at 6.15pm at the Wheeler Centre and then on Tuesday November the 19th there'll be a public forum Climate War on Refugees Climate Change means millions of people will be forced to leave their homes what does this mean for climate justice and they'll be happening at 6 30 p.m. at dinner from 6 p.m. at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street in the city. Yep. Alright. Shall we play a couple of announcements and then talk a bit about what's just gone down through this last week? Yep, definitely. <clears throat> Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Kerry Lee Harding here. 
and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I'll always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio along with music, food and of course free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to late 30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. Okay, radio, welcome back. You are on Green Left Radio. It's uh, 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial or online. And we would like to talk now about a protest that we were both at through the week, which was the blockade IMARC. Blockading the IMARC Mining and Resources uh, Summit that was happening down at the Convention Centre. Yeah, so I guess to start off, I mean, just to, I just read um, that on Channel 9 or one of the major news channels that Scott Morrison has um, now has his take on the so-called violent events that happened in the kind of past week. And essentially what he has said is he's reaffirmed his commitment to mining and that he wants to crack down on these protesters against mining. Which is just kind of like, yeah, so it just says everything about, I thought, I thought exactly we lived in a democracy. We're, we're living in this kind of situation. Um, we're living in a time where we're living in a climate crisis. Um, that's going, where we're going past the kind of point of no return. And then that you have all these corporations, um, that are profiting off polluting our earth and yet somehow trying to get a bunch of people together to bring attention to this to the corporate um crimes of these climate criminals and going beyond that these are not just climate criminals these are um you know mining criminals who um who've profited off destroying water supplies colluding with dictators um dictatorships violating human rights and exploiting workers rights so the, the idea that in of course that goes into the reason of why um, blockade IMARC and why we were part of blockading this conference and shaming the kind of co- corporate um, climate criminals and the corporate scum that kind of roamed um, that conference, attended that conference. Hmm. Yeah, and it was mentioned at the start of the show that it was quite a diverse coalition of different uh, groups that came together to, to make the blockade happen. And it was, uh, I found it really good working with, um, yeah, comrades from different political and protest backgrounds to, to make that blockade happen. And I thought we worked quite well as a team, as a whole. Um, and there was, you know, the activist support people, there was medics, legal observers. Uh, so yeah, it was, um, a, a, a useful team building project for the sort of the general Melbourne left, I reckon. And I guess to start talking about um, the level of police repression, I mean, going, starting, I mean, obviously Monday was a pretty quiet day. All we did really was the Monday of the um, expo and the conference, all we did was just we had a bit of a march, had some speeches. Generally, it was a pretty, you know, relaxed kind of um, day. But Tuesday was when we started to link arms, and that's when by far we had probably the most people mm. on the day. We probably had around, I think we probably had over 500 um, people, and then we started locking arms, linking, 
blockading the conference and blockading the whole series of entrances. We also blockaded the, the back entrance and also facilitated a kind of blockade for the health and safety conference where we let health and safety, um, Trade union health and safety reps in. Rep, reps in. To um, an adjacent kind of, building. Yeah. Into an adjacent building. And, yeah. Now, soon, yeah, just just before we get into the, the policing, what are your views on um, people using their bodies to stand there and link arms and block entry to a, a venue? Is it violent to stand there arm in arm with someone standing next to you. Is that violent, Jacob? I don't agree. And also <laughs> I think, you know, that the media has been obsessing the fact that we're, you know, refusing the democratic rights of these mining executives. I mean, you ha- we actually have to understand who actually has power in society. The fact is these mining companies are getting away with profiting in elsewhere off the um, dispossession possession of indigenous people for their land what about their human rights what about the human rights of the protesters that they've violated the human rights of you know especially oceana gold what about their human rights what about the fact that these um a lot of the um um, companies like rio tinto and bhp are community uh are dooming our future generation with the amount of emissions that they're contributing to um, mm. in terms of climate change. Like, what about their rights? Like, I think, you know, in a sense that because our government is not acting on the climate crisis, in fact, they're sponsoring it and allowing this conference to happen, I think it it's up to ordinary people to actually just stand up and say, no, this is not okay, we're going to disrupt business as usual and mm. prevent you from having this conference. Absolutely. And fundamentally... It's just not violent. It's people standing there linking arms. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the police response and, well, and the, the methods of policing used. Like, It'd be good to talk in a bit of detail in a minute about that big capsicum foam attack on the Wednesday, yeah. but but kind of separate to that, what was the broader context of policing? Well, the, the, basically what, what ended up happening is there were massive amounts of police at the convention centre. And in fact, early on, the mainstream media was crying foul about these protests. How about how, you know, you know, all this policing, all this resources we have to invest in policing. Because from the, from the outset, we've been building this protest for months. We've always said we're going to be non-violent. We're going to be peaceful. So I, in, in what world does um, the amount of police resources that were utilised for this protest in any way kind of justified, especially since they were crying foul about how oh, this is going to be taking, thanks to these protesters, we're going to be taking money away from de- addressing kind of domestic violence as if police are any good at addressing domestic violence. In fact, a lot of police officers, um, or a lot of research is showing a lot of police officers are perpetrators of domestic violence themselves. Um yeah, and then and then there was, that was kind of context, and I guess on the Monday you you know had a large kind of police presence, but then on Tuesday, as soon as we started forming the blockade, they started basically pushing us um, around and basically citing safety concerns, whatever, and then bar none arresting people. In fact, the most outrageous thing was when one of the protest organisers, Jerem Small, was literally on a megaphone. Yeah, he was uh, He was emceeing. He was. And in fact, one of the things about Tuesday actually was 
we were deliberately we were deliberately telling we didn't actually have the large numbers. We only probably had around five hundred people, three hundred to five hundred. We weren't going to go for a very hard blockade. We weren't going to go as sort of aggressive as we would have liked. In fact, if we had tens of thousands of people, we would have gone all the way in terms of blockading every surrounding single the entire surrounding huge the, building, yeah. uh, surrounding the entire huge building. So we just went for a kind of a bit of a soft kind of blockade. Just start linking arms. Just have the optics of having a blockade. Hmm. You know, try and prevent people from coming in, but obviously we probably weren't necessarily going to be able to block everyone from coming in. Yeah, it's a huge we're just going it. Um, we weren't, we were, we were telling people, we're not, we're not going to try and antagonize the police, etc., because, you know, they're so bleak case. And yet the police just aggressively attacked us <laughs> um, with no warning, um, very different from um, the Extinction Rebellion protests that happened weeks before. And, yeah, that and they started acting in a, an incredibly heavy-handed way, despite the fact that we were completely peaceful. There was no, it was gone white, and then and then it got it got even worse when they start when, as I said, one of the protest organizers, Jerem Small, started addressing people on the megaphone because after the first round of kind of police violence, we wanted to sort of get people back on track. We didn't want to sort of get people, you know, offside, um, and invite more violence basically from the police. Jerem was basically trying to address the crowd, and then what do the police do? The police send a group of SWAT teams to just basically assault him and then take his megaphone away and then arrest him. Yeah, and that was really a recurring theme throughout the protest, is that the police were uh, basically instigating scuffles and antagonising and provoking us throughout. The, we we know because we heard from sort of our our people on the inside or people who were gathering information. We know that most people entered this thing via the car park, and we didn't have numbers. We didn't have enough people to surround the whole building and try and fill up the car park and, and block every entrance. At one point, some people blocked the entry to the car park for a while, glued on. But really, the majority of delegates entering this summit went in through the car park. So the first thing to observe is. There were alternative entrances available. There was not actually any particular need for delegates to come through our picket of the main sort of front door entry on Clarendon Street. Mm. So that's that's the first thing to observe. The second thing to observe is even on Clarendon Street, there was sort of access available via this kind of wheelchair ramp thing. And there, there was kind of some access there. But really, it would have been very easy to just give a directive to all these, you know, wealthy suits who are staying in five-star hotels, catch a taxi or a limo and go to the basement. But instead of that, the police were like, no, no, there's a principle here that people should be able to walk across from their Crown Casino hotel room and walk through a picket, and we are going to enforce that. So throughout the day, the police would try and smash our picket, they would push people apart, and then if people shoved back a bit or didn't just, uh, you know, acquiesce and get out of their way, if people remained linked in arms, the police would start arresting people and often get out pepper spray and spray people. Hmm. And throughout, they're sending in these snatch squads, these little 
wedge formations of riot cops to go in and just grab someone who is of interest or they they confiscated five microphones megaphones, uh, uh, megaphones yeah, on that that first day i think they even confiscated even more um like focusing on the megaphone confiscating question they every time someone was prominent and directing the mic and crowd they would go and send a group of cops to basically try and take the megaphone away um, and then rest the person involved, or sometimes they'll just take the megaphone. Um, and then Social Alternative also had, um, who they had like a table, a stall there, and this happened on the Wednesday, I think. Um, they had like a bunch of megaphones, and basically the police came early to just basically to their stall and just confiscate all the megaphones before they were used. Hmm. Um, in fact, this is something that started actually during um, some of the XR protests, where they started confiscating kind of megaphones. Um, and then... Another thing, another asp- another aspect was the use of police horses. You always know, and in fact, a woman was tragic, a Chilean woman was tragically trampled on by the police, and we had to call. She got seriously injured, and we had to call an ambulance. Mm. Um, there was reports that she had both of her legs broken. In mm. subsequent coverage, I'm I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure if that's the case, but she was taken away in an ambulance with the with the green whistle with the morphine, um, you know, inhaler thing. And uh, these were very serious injuries. And my understanding is that a police officer grabbed this young woman and threw her onto the ground at the back of a horse. And that was the sort of circumstances in which she ended up being trampled by that horse. And yeah, there was, a, um, and I also had the, I also had the experience of. One of the, the powerful things about the protesters on the Tuesday that everyone was very staunch and because, I mean, compare, we had, obviously we, we wanted to cause as much disruption as possible and we attempted to de-arrest people as they're getting arrested. So I attempted to de-arrest someone, um, uh, who was actually a friend of mine and then I noticed the key was dropped on the floor. You know, I tried grabbing it. It turns out it was actually the police officers. And so instead of like acting like a normal person would uh, act and said, sorry, mate, that's my keys. Can you please give it back? He aggressively tried to hit, um, beat me, um, and assault me. Yeah, and, uh, and then was, drag you in and, and, and drag you, you and drag you in and rest so, you. And, so then you had to and, said, and I, I tried to de, I de-escalate. So you say, sorry, sorry. No, I didn't realize it was your key. And then, <laughs> com- and then comrades were trying to push me back. And then from that, I managed to, we calmed it down and then I got pushed back, pulled back and I got, I didn't get arrested. Hmm. So that was my near kind of arrest kind of situation. And I guess just one other point, this is just, there's lots to talk about here, so it's kind of going off a bit of track. But I guess one of the things about our blockade is we've been organising this blockade for like around over three months. It's all been up on Facebook. We literally outlined our goals. It's going to be a peaceful, non-violent protest. We'll get a blockade. Um, we'll get to use the tactics of blockading. And that our aim was to shut down the conference. So in terms of the police response, clearly... If this, if anything we were doing was illegal, they could have shut down the Facebook event, um, ages ago and told us and get, and told us to immediately cancel it. But of course, they knew it was happening. They let it happen. And then somehow they're trying to say that we can't do what we're aiming to do, despite the fact that we've been planning this for months and it's all been out in the public. Hmm. Yeah. So just to, just to re kind of summarize. We're standing there, we're linking arms, we're being assertive, we're not just dispersing if there's cops start punching us in the back of the head and shoving us, for sure, we're being assertive and we're standing our ground, 
but people are not being violent. And there was certainly a couple of cases where, having just been punched in the back of the head, someone might have turned around and shoved a cop away from them. <laughs> Fair enough, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I think our side was super restrained um, in, in the context of, you know, constant provocation and, and thuggishness from mm. the cops. Yeah. Uh, and then we've only got like a little bit of time yeah. left. The police but... um, also used batons on the Tuesday. I didn't see them use batons on the Wednesday, but there's video footage of one of the um, media representatives being hit in the baton, yeah. which is un- absolutely outrageous. <laughs> and so now let's talk about the, uh, the, the mass pepper spraying or the mass spraying of people with OC foam uh, on around lunchtime on the Wednesday... Uh, which followed a couple of people climbing up and erecting a banner. Mm. So two people, there was there was speeches, there was a crowd gathered at the front. Things were pretty sort of stable-ish at that point, even though the cops had been starting shit and spraying people in small groups throughout the day. Uh, things were fairly stable. We heard speeches from uh, First Nations people, um, Aboriginal people, West Papuan activists, Eritreans. And uh, during these speeches, a couple of people with their climbing gear, who are obviously quite experienced and proficient climbers, climbed up these poles, hung a, a banner, tied these knots really skillfully. And then at the end of the speeches, as the crowd is starting to disperse and really get ready to start packing up and going home for the day, uh, one of these snatch crowds, squads once again came in from the police and started standing at the bottom of one of the poles preparing to arrest um, the, you know, trying to arrest the climbers as they're slowly climbing down these poles. So a bunch of the protesters, having seen how, how thuggish and violent the cops have been in the process of arresting people throughout, a bunch of protesters are like, well, you know, let's go and... Let's go back to where we were standing in that particular area, which is a public open space, and um, you know provide a bit of a crowd of people, and hopefully the the climbers might be able to get away <laughs> and not get you know brutalised by the cops. So that's happening, and it had the desired effect by by simply by going and standing there in large numbers. Mm. The police, their training would say, all right, well, if you're surrounded and you're greatly outnumbered. Uh, you should pull back out. And the cops did, and we cheered because we were like, cool. We just, I don't know, we just kind of freed up that space. Mm. The cops are there. The cops were visibly humiliated, and my strong sense of this is that they they regrouped, got some reinforcements, and then they came in and tried to barge their way through the crowd to try and arrest the, the two climbers. And uh, and then sprayed everyone, mm. and it was a it was a revenge attack. Mm. They could have let the, the they could have let the banner people get away. Yeah, yeah. No one was being violent. No property had been damaged. Mm. They could have let them get the cheeky climbers get away, but they didn't. They were prepared. They yeah. were well, determined here's, um, here's, to here's collectively thing, um, punish When you us. look at the video footage of Green Left, um, on that we put up on Green Left Weekly, um, after they arrested um, the first climber, fortunately got away. After they arrested the second climber. Everyone was started to disperse, and then they sprayed more, even more pepper spray, which was another kind of revenge, aggress, a, a, a outright act of aggression. Mm. No one was trying to, everyone was trying to escape the police. And in fact, I remember that time because I had been pepper sprayed twice on that day. I was staying away from that crowd. Mm. Um, 
and then I was trying to call on people, well, you actually have to run, just run, get out of the protest zone because they just get to spray us um, mm. for no good reason. In fact, that's what people were doing. We weren't trying to pick a fight with the cops at that particular moment. Not at all. They could have let the day finish peacefully and instead they the, the police could not possibly have done anything more uh, aggressive. They could not possibly have escalated that situation any more than they did than by, you know, just mass assaulting a huge crowd of people with chemical foam, completely disproportionate, completely undisciplined by the police. It was just a hot-headed uh, revenge attack and, and utterly disgraceful. So, yes, we, we've got to finish up, but uh, I guess for me that's that's a big thing coming out of this. I understand there's no guidelines in Victoria for the, the use of pepper spray. Police are just free to spray people as they feel. And what we saw on Wednesday is that if they want to arrest a couple of peaceful, non-violent protesters who haven't damaged anything, they've committed a, a minor summary offence, they are prepared to assault dozens of people with a chemical weapon in order to, you know, arrest a couple of petty offenders. It's disgusting. So, yeah, don't believe the lies of the Herald Sun. There's nothing violent about standing in a row and linking arms. Mm. We'll leave you with that for this week, uh, listeners. Stick around for uh, Beyond Zero Emissions and uh, keep it staunch. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show... And interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh, hell,